0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Beh- uh, Behaviour Change Marketing Bootcamp. Um, we're going behind the scenes on an incredible video today. It was led by Stuart King. Um, he's here in the online studio with us. I'm going to pass over to him to introduce himself, but just to say today's episode is really for anyone out there sitting pondering, how can I capture insight about my audience? How can I deepen insight about my audience? Um, so we can start some- Planning effective behavior change and planning effective messaging. So, thank you so much for coming, Stuart, because I've seen uh, the video so many times now and it's so powerful. So, uh, there's loads of learning about obesity there, but also about you and how you did it and created it. So, please, can we get started by just saying hello and please imagine no one knows you? So, tell us, well, not everything, but your background, what you do now, (laughs) and maybe a little bit about what you want to (laughs) do.
1: Yeah, it's only 20 minutes. Um, yeah, <laughs> thank you, Ruth. Hello. Uh, thank you for having me on today. Um, yeah, I suppose I started, so I've been in public health for almost 20 years, 19 years or so, um, mainly as an intervention designer. Um, but I've also, um, I've worked in the NHS an obesity lead. I've worked in the local authority as a commissioner and in Public Health England, I was a senior scientist in the um, Obesity and Healthy Weight team and then National Implementation Manager in the Adults and Older People team. So that was um, doing a lot of the engagement work and pulling together the the the, the content for the Everybody Active Every Day guidance Brilliant. that came out in 2014. Um, and then all, alongside all of that, I, I started an organisation called Busy Bodies, which um, has been going as a program for, for about 17 years. Um, and so we've, we've sort of grown that organization up over that period of time. Now we've just become part of a much larger organization um, called Maximus. And so um, Busy Bodies now sits within within Maximus. Um, and yeah, I, I've just been particularly obsessed with applying behavioral science. I, I, I have a show um, called Real World Behavioral Science because that's the thing that we're most focused on is like bringing practical application of behavioral science or or any type of evidence base actually into um public health into the public health space so that in a really small nutshell is what i've been focused on
0: amazing so not a lot then <laughs> you haven't been very busy. Well, yeah <laughs> it's yeah. incredible because you said it so quickly and you know just to grow grow a company busy bozzies is so well mm. respected in our field um, it's a massive achievement mm-hmm. as is the podcast you know it's so important that we bridge this gap between the research and then the application. And the more we can make it real for people, show them how easy it is to do, and that you don't have to be a behavioural scientist to apply behavioural science. Actually, it is about Mm, how you as a practitioner can use it, learn from it, and test and measure yourself. So it's such such an important gap. Otherwise, what is the point in having all the research? It stays within such a narrow field
1: yeah i think i think that having having busybodies was a great outlet for me because it gave me the freedom to just think of any idea you know if you're working for someone you 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 can maybe have some freedom to bring new ideas in and whatever but when you're running your own thing you can bring ideas from anywhere and they can be from lots of mad places but as um rory sutherland who was just on the show and i think people talked about him on your shows also but as they've we've Um, he says that you know good ideas can come from all sorts of different places and stuff there's no there's no there's the opposite of a good idea is it can also be a good idea as well so i think just having a bit of freedom to bring ideas in from all sorts of different places and think about how you can um, learn from business development fields and marketing and all sorts of other different elements and bring them into public health spaces because essentially behavior is behavior and it doesn't matter what you're applying it in you've just got to sort of think about how people are um, assimilating information and then and then sort of you know, how to make change happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the video really shows that thinking, you know, out, the wider thinking that you bring. Um, mm. Because public health really it does need that as you say people are complicated and the answer isn't doesn't just sit in one discipline it's how we bring them all together um, and how we can be as creative as possible as well I mean we're in an age of massive information overload but I think what I loved about the video the reason it struck me so hard was because um and I think this is why you know Busy Bodies is so well respected is because you haven't lost the why. So with the resurgence of behavioural science, for a while there, it was almost like the goal is to be really good at behavioural science. And, you know, behavioural science was the most popular kid at school. Poor old social marketing's mm. out the window. But
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. for
0: me, it's like, we must remember our why. Why are we using these tools? And remember, actually, we're here to help people um, and make a really for positive a difference in their lives. And I think... Um, it's being able to say this worked or it didn't work and share your methodology and that's where behavioural science is so powerful but we must never lose touch of the why um, and I think that's what you're well, you said so brilliantly <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm glad you said that Ruth because I'm pretty obsessed with Simon Sinek so uh, the fact uh, that a why comes through is really important to me actually so yeah it really I'm does. glad that you said that
0: yeah because <laughs> it is it's like why are we doing this at the end of the day why are we doing this and that's what I say to everyone when they come in our training I'm like please you're not having to go off and do your PhD you can if you want to and those people have gone off and done their masters but this is about the why you know your measurement don't worry if it's behavior change you know your measurement is capturing why have we helped people and if we have how much and how and also yeah. capture how you did it so other people can do it and we can share, learn and replicate and grow quicker. Um, and maybe reduce yeah. a little bit of the duplication. I'm not saying there's duplication.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I also think though, if it's something it's actually something Rory said on our show the other week. It, it, if you don't mind who gets the credit, you can do really amazing things. Everything's solvable. And I think if you again running an organization, if you're not if there's no ego in it. There can be, obviously, but I think if you take the ego out of it and you just think, what's the best thing we can possibly do to empower people around us to do their best work? Um, How can we explore ideas without uh, 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 the need to absolutely sort of know the answer ahead of time and all that type of stuff? These are the types of things I love about running an organization and and leading an organization, to be honest. Um, Just being pretty humble in in the fact that you just want to solve problems you just want to sort of work with people to to build uh, opportunity for them help them change behaviors in a positive way and if you take the the ego out of it it's just brilliant fun yeah. to be honest so yeah. it doesn't feel like work at all
0: no well, that's fantastic so take us on to the video because mm. it's so powerful mm. please how did you get there why did you think video and why did you think you know how did the need come up
1: well, I I do think that we are. I say we, we were commissioned to do it, to be honest. But um, we we were commissioned to do an insight project and to support Hounslow Borough Council um, or London Borough of Hounslow to um, look at their whole systems work. So we were doing we were doing an insight project with them. Uh, we were doing presentations to stakeholders and groups in in the uh, council and and other stakeholders about how you can make you know the whole system around obesity sort of part of everyone's work and the video was really w- w- something that they asked us for a creative output rather than just a report we did do a report but they are oh, the no, the don't. commissioners there are excellent for and i should shout them out actually you got bavana um there, sterling rippy um heather and, and david um who wanted something different they didn't want just the report because they know i mean it helps that they've got sterling Rippy, who's a really well-respected behavioral scientist herself yes um and yes uh, absolutely and, exactly and she's i think she's uh, leads the london Um, bsphn uh, forum so that helped i mean you've Mm. got a good you've got a a good customer if you like for a starting point and they understand the importance of good communication that's great and we and that's something we connected on right away Um, and i do think that you know we produced 1600 pages of reports in insight reports Mm -hmm. last year Oh. I wouldn't be surprised if ten percent or less than ten percent was read. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it, and, it, and the, do you know the shame of that is some of it was amazing quality, like it was it was yes. really interesting insights. And I just said we've got to do something different. We cannot keep just writing these reports. You still have to write the report, by the way, because you've got to get all of that information out somehow, and you've got to organize it. Yeah. But we've got to go one step further and think about the method of communication. And I I think to myself, why can't communicating important information about insights and public health information etc why can't that actually be enjoyable to consume that's not necessarily where this video came from but I do think that and that is something that we're we're pressing on and I think Mm -hmm. will be the next big big frontier in public health how to communicate things better by by thinking about video and other and other forms of communication but the video uh, that we did for Hounslow was Vina had actually. Vina was brilliant. I should have shouted her out first, really. Yeah, was Vina. amazing, actually. <laughs> and we were we were so great. Yeah, hi, we were so grateful to her anyway for telling her story. Um, and she did it with such candour, and she was just totally open to sort of you know us telling this story. But Vina actually came on one of our programs a f- uh, about um, eighteen months ago, two years ago, and then volunteered with Busy Bodies, and then started working with Busy Bodies. So we know Vina really well. Um, mm-hmm. and i just think her story was great anyway um she was really vulnerable in that story as well telling us about her her mental health issues when she had postnatal depression etc and from from my perspective i i wanted to do that justice by really sort of doing a good quality video showcasing how difficult it is for most parents in in the uk you know it's it's people feel like they're on their own uh, a lot of the time and and when they see something like Vina's video most people said it was just so real it was exactly what i experienced in the mornings i'm knackered you know i i'm running from thing to thing to thing i'm always got the kids nagging at me when we go past the shops and all that type of stuff so i think that that video just just as a short snippet into someone's morning helps other people look and say that's just like me and i'm not on my own and whatever so that's one side to that video and the council were really keen to showcase that this is what real you know real life is like for most people and then we used it as i put a series of posts on linkedin afterwards um to to just sort of break down some of that because we we recorded that with a um with an agenda really to to showcase from a from a whole system's perspective um what what it is that impacts someone's existence, their everyday life, their decisions, et cetera. Yeah. And so that's, that was the purpose of them breaking that down. And I, I, use all sorts of different models, but Combi, I just sort of said, Well, that's an obvious one for us to just use and break down and say, Well, what's the physical environment look like? What does the social opportunity look Mm -hmm. like? You know, how do you how do you sort of get those across but use somebody else's story to tell that? So we put a post together about where the shop is in relation to our house. So that's obviously a physical environment thing. And if the shop was over the road, how would that impact it? And if the shop was down the road and round the corner so there was no visual trigger, how might that affect it? You know, on the day to day. And I think that when you look at that type of thing in the context Context of vena's actual story, you can you can get it. You go, yeah. If she wasn't walking past that shop every day with the kids, the visual trigger wouldn't be there. The the tester power wouldn't be there. In the shop, obviously, you can see on the video that's just endless. It's like a mountain of oh, chocolate on the thing. She yeah. she describes it as Willy Wonka's chocolate and factory. It's, you know, it's
0: terrifying because that's so normal. Ooh. And when you're in the video, you yeah. think. Oh, my God, that's what I see. And I, you have to connect the dots. I was like, oh, my God, that's shop. And I was like, oh, that's the same as my shop. Oh, my gosh, our shops are just, you know, it was terrifying, actually, to see that for me. Um because we live next to a yeah. spa, so <laughs> I was well,
1: like... you when you say spa, I presume you mean spa the
0: shop, yeah, not a spa. I mean like the one uh, filled with <laughs> a place to get yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um yeah. just to just to pause there, just sec, just because anyone who hasn't watched the video, how would you describe the video, uh, Stuart? It sort of I mean uh, for me it was like an ethnographic walk through a day and a day in the life of Vina um mum who lives in Hounslow. Um mm-hmm. Do you describe it? Any I mean, different? that does it really? That yeah, that okay. is pretty much what it is. It's okay. just an
1: ethnographic video of, of, of life for a life life. Yeah, day.
0: and the video follows her, so it's just four minutes long, but it follows her through um, getting up, the school run, um, and then her day with her dog and, mm-hmm. like you say, habits, things that you know you do yeah. perhaps semi-subconsciously. You know, you know. Perhaps you need yeah. to keep walking past, but actually, when you've watched the video and you realise, actually, she's just done like hours of work in in twenty minutes yeah. with the kids and everything. Yeah.
1: Um, well, uh, the other thing is, uh, like, take the dog for an example.
0: Oh, yeah, he's a dog. So a, a,
1: a, he was lovely, right? But the 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 dog is a good example of uh, a dog. In fact, is a good example of an external trigger. Yeah. So, it's an external motivator to go for a walk, for example, and that's how she saw it. Um, yeah. And she just happened to have on her doorstep a l- brilliant park. I never knew it was there, but there's a lovely park in, in Hounslow. It goes on for miles. You could be in the middle of the countryside uh, in the middle of Hounslow, which was lovely, but not everyone has that. So, you know, it, it, they've got the trigger. They've got the guilt of not walking the dog, but they can only walk it around the block because there's no decent oh, play area and, and whatever nearby.
0: Yeah everyone we are the dog why is it about dogs that brings out everyone's soft side
1: <laughs> well everyone loves dogs don't they well not everyone loves dogs but i do i love dogs more than anything but um yeah i th- these are just the, the examples though from that video that just come out it, naturally uh, and another one that we did was we we made a point of of um so from an so it's good that you described it as an ethnographic thing because we actually did a bit of a qualitative sort of analysis around that as well oh, great. We, we were saying ethnographically speaking um what are you being exposed to on the daily basis without necessarily noticing? So we counted all of the different adverts. There, there must have been a, a push by McDonald's on this steakhouse burger or whatever, and uh, there was another advert that we saw a lot of uh, chicken, chicken sandwich type sort of thing yeah. or whatever. And it was there was a new type of um, Cadbury's chocolate out, and so those three adverts we saw twenty seven times on that walk. <gasps> 27 adverts
0: adverts on that short walk for those
1: three products on that short walk wow all right that's not that's not the end of the world but you know if we're building up a picture of how how are people being influenced well they're being influenced and bombarded in every single way and and then you go past i think we walked past about 14 different takeaways endless amounts of gambling shops lots of shut shops and stuff as well shops that were, were were closed down so once you start and lots of lots of litter on the floor and all that type of stuff, which, you know, um, no disrespect to Hounslow Borough Council for their litter picking or whatever, but they do need to do a little bit of work in some of the areas we were walking around. And all of that, we were trying to build up a picture of like, if you're living in that environment the choices that you have available to you are limited. Yes. And you have to work harder to make good choices. You know, we work in family weight management amongst other things. If you want to make good choices, you, you have to work harder to do that. It's not the default. And the more, you know, the more barriers you then have on top, we all know this really, but the more barriers you have on top, the, the less choice you actually have. It's, it's about life chances versus um, choices.
0: Yeah. I that's a massive point of learning. I think that's what really came mm. out for me because from a couple of things from a marketing perspective, one is how can our marketing ever combat the commercial consumer side? I mean, sometimes mm. I just think, why do we bother? Although I've never not bother, but, you know, it does feel utterly overwhelming when you hear 27 um, touch points that they will have planned so expertly, you know, that's not by accident. Yeah. Um, mm. But then also um, marketing, for me... One of, the reason, one of the things that worries me sometimes is that we can do the blame game accidentally. So we're just telling people mm-hmm. to make best choices and have these expectations about what people should be doing. And everything you've just said about the lived environment and the wider environment, the external triggers, the pressures, and actually the opportunities that people have, that gets forgotten. And I think we can widen health inequalities and we can actually be triggering a lot more... Not necessarily shame, but, you know, too much pressure on the people who have the least, who have the biggest hill to climb. And we don't Mm -hmm. respect the sheer amount of resilience it takes to walk past those 27 adverts and walk past that shop and change, you know, make these sort of habit based changes. Um, when one when they're so ingrained but two when you say actually it's um there's so much of the environment you know the odds are stacked against people um and I think when because I'm obviously in marketing it's like sometimes it's really good for the marketer to remember that they are not going to solve this problem that we are part of a bigger systems approach and we need to be connecting in with the bigger systems and you know programs like yours but also there's advertising bands now they're They're happening, aren't they, on a Mm. bigger scale?
1: Yeah, I mean, they actually got walked back a little bit, I think, last year. But I I, I don't actually know where they are today. I should have checked that out beforehand. Um, But those are the types of things that make a huge difference. But but only... In their individual sort of areas. And, and it, like yeah. you say, it's a whole system response that's needed. Um, and the problem with that is, uh, and I've worked in national government, local government, uh, I've, I've supplied services to, to, to lots of different um, local authorities over the years. The problem with it is, there's a limited amount of money to spend and, um, and, y- we we seem to have to know the absolute contribution of everything that we do which makes sense because you've got to understand what the return on investment is like is it actually worth doing that versus that in a in a resource um scarce environment but but in reality we're only really going to solve this problem if if politicians and uh people at a local level including communities are brave enough to sort of just say we need to do Everything We need to do lots of different things at once and we're not going to know the absolute contribution of every single part of this yeah. to the to the end result. That that takes courage and that takes that takes really brave um, people in, in positions of power. And, and te- you know, we often see that, that things happen in political cycles because people are interested in, in re-election, etc, etc. So you, we, we need a, a 20 to 30 year um response that is Mm -hmm. that is just pushing at a whole systems approach um to changing each little thing and and i I talk about um marginal gains quite a lot you know like the british cycling team is a good example of that through dave brailsford and all the the gold medals we've won and i've talked about this in various
0: tiny tweaks
1: exactly but they're like these one percent if you can improve 50 things by one percent the the results start to become exponential and one of the things that he describes is this notion of when they did that in their team they had this contagious enthusiasm they called it which i loved because the more people saw the impact of these tiny things they couldn't tell the exact contribution of low drag paint on the bike or um using their own cleaners in a hotel room when they go or the cots that they used to take so that everyone slept in the same bed every night with the same stuff washed on the bus every day with the same person etc all these tiny tiny tweaks they couldn't tell what exact contribution they made but it all made a contribution to an overall improvement where we went from winning zero medals or one medal to almost all the medals you know all all the gold medals in in 2012 and um, uh, 2008 and So that's the type of thing that I think people do get. When you look at the marginal gains thing and and you look at the success of something like the British cycling team and other sports teams, then you start to think, yeah, if we could just do that, that would be great. But there's lots of different groups. There's lots of different communities. There's different cultures to take into account. People are, you know, Time poor, they're resource poor, so these things aren't on the top of their list, and so it becomes a really difficult. I'm not saying it's an easy thing to to solve, but I do know that the thing that will solve it will be courage more than anything else from from political leaders.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great way of bringing it together, Stuart, because I think, like you say, let's a uh, courage, but also um, I think you you said about the v- community voice there. Um, mm. I think that's so so important because I think it's more. It's as important to have a sort of not a cultural revolution, but I think the uh, the community voice is just so needed here that enough is enough, Um, especially as parents with looking at childhood obesity. When do we say enough is enough? Um, And I was looking at some amazing work that's being done in King's Cross around their lived Mm -hmm. environment and the redesign. And, you know, like you say, there's lots of other levers and the solutions are going to come from so many other places as well. Um, For sure. And so, yeah, it's something about, like you say, going, setting that vision and going for it um, and being really um, solution focused because I can imagine when they were going for their gold medals, they weren't focusing on the problem. So I guess they were because they were fixing it. But the vision, the, um, what's in everyone's head is let's win. Let's achieve this. Let's do this. And then let's make these changes yeah. in order to get there. We know, all know where we're going to. And for me, that's the bit that's really missing. Um, where are we going to? What's the vision that can bring you know, the community together? um and what what does that look like and then so we can all have like that gold medal moment where we go right we're all working in our own little bits towards this um that would just be incredible and i think that's like you say the politicians well can they ever give it us? i don't know if it sometimes i just think health shouldn't be a political football it's so frustrating
1: (laughs) you're totally right it's gonna be communities there's not enough money in a system to buy your way out of the problems that we're facing in terms of the mental health problems, the physical health problems, obesity, those types of things, diabetes, etc. If we are really going to make strides forward, it will be through communities. And if we're going to do that through communities, then we have to, we have to listen to them. We have to be in them. And one of the questions that a that, uh, uh, really um, inspirational sort of speaker, and we worked with, with, uh, with him, Cormac Russell, said to me once was, how much time do you spend in meetings talking about people versus how much time you spend in communities talking to people and i've asked that now in every every political space i go every talk that i give and the the sort of slightly embarrassed look on everyone's face tells me that there's a lot of people that 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 are doing their jobs they they're working away very hard and whatever else but actually are we actually connected to the to people in communities? Do we really know what it's like to, for them living in those areas? Do we get their voice out genuinely? Have we got the systems to be able to pull those voices into our into our spaces and then work with mm-hmm. them alongside them to make sure that they are driving the the um, the change in those communities? And and the prob- and, and there's lots of buzzwords around now, one of them being co-production. You hear it everywhere, ABCD, another one, asset-based community development.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Everyone wants it, but no one knows how to make it work in reality, right? But one of the problems with co-production in my view, I won't go on a rant. Oh
0: no, go is on. <laughs> that,
1: that, but you, you the problem with it most of the time is it's not co-production, it's consultation. <gasps> and it's the tick boxes. Mm. And True co-production, when we did it, we did, a co- we did a project a little while ago and we were doing co-production, but actually we had to redefine it because it, it turned out that because we had a set period of time, we had to deliver something in, we had to deliver towards a, a pre-stated goal of, you know, engaging a certain number of people in weight management services, whatever it was. That's not co-production. You, you have to have the latitude to be able to listen to what people say and then work with what they say. And that might mean you're not doing the thing that you thought you'd be doing at the beginning. But that's what true co-production is. That's what true community work is. And that takes, you know, long-term investments in communities. They're sick of being over-consulted, not listened to, and then a new agenda comes along and they get dropped. They're sick of it. So we've got to get to the point where we're not just... Short term, going and speaking to communities, trying to get out their story and then not doing it justice, not actually doing what's right by them and and, and acting with them alongside them to sort of make change happen. And there are places that that is happening, but it's, it's few and far between and it's really difficult and it requires deep thinking and a lot of effort and time.
0: Yeah, you're right. And that actually comes back to the word courage again. The leaders have got to give the permission to allow people to not know the answer before they go and talk to people. For sure. You've got to say it's okay not that you don't know. Um, We do that in our scoping. And actually, when social marketing first came out and the childhood obesity, the very beginning of Change for Life... Um, I don't know if you remember, they went back and they redid it all. They wrote their policy and then they're like, oh, this is not good. Let's take a social marketing approach. And the, the mantra was, if you know the answer, then it's not social marketing. Because social marketing interventions are born out of the scoping phase, which is when you establish what people need, want and, you know, the best way to really get to the solution. Um, so if you know what it is you want, then like you say, this is just more about delivery and tick tickboxing. Um, and we say it all the time, my thing is, um, I, I try and differentiate between understanding your service users and your non-service users, because... I think that we can speak to our service users a lot, but it's quite a small pool and you get that kind of group think. And we're not so good at speaking to people that aren't already engaged in patient forums or going along to community groups. And we don't take that extra step. And we do a lot of, I mean, our videos, we don't release our videos. So we do a lot of um, online qualitative uh, research with non-service users Mostly we do it online because most of our guys are carers. They can't leave the house, might have disabilities. So we do, we do it online um, either on their own in groups. But our permissions are set so we don't share it wider than with the commissioner. But it's our mm-hmm. way of getting their voice at least in with the decision making. But even then, yeah. it's not enough because the power is still sitting with an external body. And it's actually—it's well, exactly, yeah. not an equal playing field. That it's um, still like parent-child, almost a little bit. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, like you yeah. say, if there's it's a, actually really going to work, it needs to be a lot more equal.
1: Well, there's there's a couple of books that that sort of describe that. There's the the spirit level, um, which is an interesting book um, to to read about sort of okay. equality and power. And then another one is I, I can't I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but you reminded me of it. The art I think it's the the power of giving away power or something along along those lines. I will check that for you, but it's something like the art of giving away power, something like that. And it and it's really worth reading. It's not from public health or anything along those lines. It's about status and power and and how community development really really comes about and it is in genuinely sharing power yeah. is a scary and difficult thing to do um and and from what you you know everything that you said is completely right but it's this notion of how you give away how you i say give away power you shouldn't even you sh- it's not really yours to give away, but it does exist. There are power dynamics, and we have to recognise them and then be able to. And, and I think com- communities are the places that we should be sharing it with. Communities are the places that should be able to take that that power because those are going to be the the um, the place in which real change can happen. And and mm-hmm. I have a question, which is why why can't we get communities to do that right now? Why don't we engage certain communities and and we do others? and the answer is trust and trust is incredibly difficult to build it takes a long time to build uh, and i think if we were more intentional about trust and understood what trust is trust is made of four components uh intent integrity integrity competence and results and you have to communicate all of those if you're working in communities they need to feel that you have the right intent they need to see your integrity you need to deliver on what you say you're going to and you need to demonstrate that you can do that competently and that's how you and that's in every relationship by the way but that but this is in communities it's it's even more important and then and then that's why you need to work alongside lots of organizations who already have trust in those in those in in those areas and you have to invest for the long term because trust comes in on a a a donkey and goes out on a rocket ship if you just don't deliver one time you know that's that's as quickly as it can go it's
0: a great analogy there (laughs) oh so we started off on the video and now we've gone into sorry no I think it's brilliant (laughs) I would think um yeah no thank you so insightful all your comments thank you so much and just for anyone who's listening um I'd really just like to point out that when Stuart is talking um when we were talking about the video and your work and your research, you were automatically popping things within Combi. And I just want to flag that because it was you said it all so naturally. And I think that's just where we can all get to. We can all literally start using things, even as prompt tools, just to widen and broaden our own thinking and deepen our own understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, anyone who's listening can go back to listen to that, but I'll tease that out as well, I think somewhere. Because somewhere, yeah, you're yeah. just doing it so naturally. And I just think that's such a on the ladder towards this trust and change um that's kind of one of our first skill sets that we can really nail something that we can control and do um yeah for sure just uh, yeah developing our own empathy skills so you've been amazing guests thank you so so much um i will hook up all of those books that you've mentioned and the Day in the Life video with Veena. Thank you so much, Veena. And also, we do normally finish asking our guests for recommendation of one book that changed their life or one book that you would say everyone must read. You've already given us two, so it's a bit harder. Mm. But is there one that you would say you must read this? Is there a book that you would (sighs) gift to anyone at the moment?
1: I gift books all the time. Because I really believe in. I, I just think books are. If you're not learning from someone's best effort at pulling all their best ideas together, the, where, where are you getting your ideas from? Um, one book, yeah. I'd I, I probably. I'd say probably. It depends on what you're trying to achieve, to be honest. I, I, I am known for giving out book recommendations, but I'd say Rebel Ideas I talk about a lot because I think it's just a, a great book by Matthew Said. So it's Black Box Thinking, actually. Um, but that just really demonstrates the value of diversity and beyond diversity for diversity's sake. Like the the, the genuine science behind good ideas coming together and sort of learning from each other and stuff but can i mention a couple of others anyway because i just oh, there's some books that really made a big difference to me and because and you're in marketing uh, lynchpin by seth godin really affected me early that was one of my first introductions to lots of different sort of uh, concepts in marketing um spirit of kaizen is another one which is about continuous improvement from the japanese sort of uh, art of kaizen mm-hmm. and the last one is a really odd choice but I it really affected me because it made me think deeply about the importance of different people in an organization that's loon shots so that I have to tell you this I didn't love the book to be honest I, I liked it I didn't love it but the concept of having big ideas and how they become business as usual is a really interesting thing because we there's loads of ideas in the world there's lots of you know whole systems obesity is one of them but how do you turn that into something you need this sort of you need someone who buys into a vision and then you you need that person that can translate that vision for what they call the army so that the army can actually not reject the idea out of hand and make it work on a day-to-day basis so for just across the board i think for for putting ideas into practice diversity thinking about communication and then thinking about how to turn them into realistic Uh real world things
0: Um, say the name again
1: Loon Shots.
0: Loon Shots. And who's the author?
1: Loon Shots. Loon. I should have looked it up. Oh, but don't worry. Remember, but, no, I'll put um, it in the link. Yeah, links. Loon Shots.
0: Loon Shots.
1: Yes. Okay,
0: because Loon, L-O-O-N, brilliant.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. really
0: interesting, because uh, that summarises exactly what we said. You need your vision, and then to mobilise your army. Um sure. and the video, I have to say, yeah, it prompted all this thinking. So thank you so much for doing that work. It's absolutely fantastic. And thank you for coming on the podcast today.
1: No worries. Thank you very much, Ruth. Thanks for having me.